Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start, if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores and with us this week we have Johnny Cocker. Hello. Hello, it's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. Uh, Johnny, can you tell us like short little description of sort of who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I mean, long story short, I suppose I've, you know, I've always had a crazy passion for cars. That extended into a pretty unique and amazing opportunity to race cars for a long period of time, um, just over 20 years. Um, starting when I was 14. And then back in 2014, um, I started the company JCR, um, which essentially is trying to bring the motorsport side of, you know, engineering, thought processes, testing, um, technology into the road car arena. So Mm. in the aftermarket. So that's what we've been focusing on since um, 2014, more and more so. Um, I mean, I competed last time professionally in 2019. So, you know, the last few years has been absolutely full steam ahead on JCR. And I suppose that's where the kind of evolutions come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came on the podcast a while ago. So for those that are interested in joint background, and we talked a lot about all this, some of the cool things he's been, he's raced and bit about racing and i think sort of almost like how to get into it and sponsorships and difficulties and yada yada yada, lots and lots of stuff like that um go back search back and you'll find the uh, the podcast where we we cover a lot of that but i wanted to get johnny back on because i realized it had been a long time and he always posts on instagram pictures of some cool porsche wanging around yeah. a track somewhere and i'm like oh that <laughs> looks quite cool um what are you up to so last time you you came on it was march 2021 um i imagine things have evolved a little bit since then i don't 2021 we were sort of 
Was that, I can't even remember when the pandemic sort of, it's not. Is it over? The last three years have been a bit of a blur, let's be honest. <laughs> well, I remember talking quite a bit about, uh, we talked about a bit about my RS, but uh, you had a 718 GT4 at the time uh, that you were doing, you'd done exhaust, and then you were doing a bunch of bits and pieces for, to make it more sort of track ready. Yeah, able, sure. More fun, I guess. Um but you've 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 moved on and you've done quite a lot more cars and stuff since then. Um, yeah, you talk me through uh, how how how, mu- how much have things sort of changed? Yeah, I mean, the, nothing's changed, I suppose, in the approach that we take with all the tune inside of things. Um, you know, I, I'm a true believer in put the parts on the car, stick the car on track, and go and test them. You know, that's the kind of approach that we take, rather than a um, you know, just necessarily if we say, if we want to tune a car, we want to change some parts on a car and, and prove that they work. Then I think there's, there's far more weight in, um, the results that you would kind of establish from on track performance and real world acceleration figures and lap times than there is, you know, sticking it on a dyno in a room and trying to come up with a, a figure here or there. So I suppose all the things that we are doing, are very much kind of focused on real world and i say real world because that's that's kind of where it is you know that's where you're going to feel the benefits is on the road on the track so back in 2021 obviously you just mentioned we had the, the 718 gt4 uh we're doing a, a huge kind of program on that car which we completed the back end of 2021 um since then we've had a number of cars but it's actually funny that we picked up our seven 18 gt4 pdk car um just a couple of months ago which is our kind of version two uh, okay um, yeah. which kind of is a kind of a nice kind of full circle but in the meantime we we had uh 992 turbo s we developed a, a range of exhaust products for that uh which are also cross compatible on all the 992 carrera models as well um oh, nice. obviously that's a little bit different because it's turbocharged car so you know the exhaust side of things are way more simple um, in terms of liberating power from a turbo car, it's fairly straightforward. Um, so we just kind of took all the nice approach, used the right materials in the right way, made sure that it sounded great, and um, and obviously made the, made the numbers as well, which is always important. Um, we then had our 991 Speedster as well, which we yeah. did a full kind of track-focused build on, which is really kind of different. The idea with that was not so much that we expected to attract a load of 991 speedster owners who wanted to go on track. Yeah. It was more a case of just kind of demonstrating what was possible. We could take something which is really not intended for that purpose, um, apply our knowledge and um, and whatnot, and, and make something which actually was pretty formidable on the track as well. Um, so that car ended up being significantly faster around a lap than, say, a, a stock 991.2 GT3 RS. Um, oh, really? Yeah, even with the limited aero and and whatnot. So that was a really fun exercise, a lot of learning for us, which always applies across the board into all of our different products. Um, but that was a really cool car. That's another one which I wish I could have kept that's, as well. That's um, super cool. Was that, was that owned by the business? Or was yeah, it I mean, someone else's car? All they those all development way. cars are, yeah. Um, you know, that they are true hour and hour development cars. They only get driven when they're either going to the track or going to a dyno or 
or an event or whatnot. So yeah. they are pure kind of business use. Um, that's the, the benefit of having, um, I suppose, that kind of, you know, being able to pull in the resources and, and really kind of attack something full on, you know. So we, we generally do one car at a time because, um, yeah. to be honest, that's kind of what our um, capabilities allow at the minute. Um, but also I think it's, it's good to focus our attention on just one model at a time. Um, but yeah, the speedster was a really fun build that looked great. We did, um, pillable paint on that car and changed it into old classic, um, speedster color, um, Schmerner, uh, green. It was actually, sorry. Um, which was a really kind of cool, different color, which kind of grabbed mm. some attention as well. But yeah, the, the fun part of that was being able to create a build and, and go out there and, do some lap times which were actually pretty um representative of you know the kind of latest greatest track car uh from porsche at the time that's quite interesting that you can get it you know into that sort of range what were the the sort of what would be the sort of big wins in terms of the things that you've changed i know you sort of changed a few quite a few bits but what is the sort of order of priority in terms of let's say lap time yeah i think um a little bit is power um we we developed um on that model on the speedster um we kind of figured out that that the engine package and the exhaust package was actually going to be the same as what the 992 gt3 ended up having yeah um so the speedster was produced in that weird kind of period where there was all the regulation changes diesel k like there was a lot of implications off of the back of that um and speedster in the very last few 991.2 GT3 RSs ended up being produced with um, an individual throttle body engine with particulate filters as well. Mm. So my figuring was that Porsche aren't going to develop a specific engine package for you know only a few thousand cars. Uh, yeah. It's just not going to happen. So we we went really heavy into the development on that car, um, which was one of the reasons why we got the Speedster. Um, we were able to develop all of our kind of 992 GT3 exhaust packages right, on yeah, that car yeah. before the GT3 had even landed. So it was, I suppose, a little bit of a kind of hope for the best situation yeah. because Porsche could have easily changed something in the meantime, but it actually worked out really well. Um, and, you know, we took we took that learning straight into 992 GT3 and the transition was extremely sim- simple, um, only a few small changes, and then that, that all those exhaust products worked. Um, but in terms of gains, yes, that was a, a gain, uh, about 15, 20 horsepower. Um, but the big one was the chassis stuff, really. So um, Porsche are really good in the sense that they build the cars almost like Lego, you know, so you can kind of recognize this parts from this model, that parts from that model. Yeah. There's a lot of cross compatibility. Um, it's this kind of similar approach to what we take with our parts as well. So, you know, we're very much of the mindset that we'll develop uh, an exhaust package, say, for instance, but do it in a modular fashion such that you can kind of sneak up on the the overall package that you want to achieve. And a lot of the exhaust, uh, sorry, a lot of the suspension components from 991 GT3 RS would actually just go straight over onto the speedster. So we okay. applied a lot of those parts. Um, we installed... Uh, we've been doing quite a lot of stuff with Manti recently, but we installed Manti Racing Package and the suspension side of things. Um, we did some work to the underfloor aero 
um, and lightweight wheels, cup to our tires. Um, you know, it's a, it's a relatively straightforward package, really. Um, but it was just kind of demonstrating that the, you know, the capabilities of the chassis are always there. It's just a case of kind of focusing the, the attention in the right places. But I suppose the, the chassis was the big win and the tyres. Mm. That's quite interesting that you can effectively put a Manti GT3 RS kit on a GT3. Yeah, I mean, they say you can't, but you definitely can. You can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because they've just come out with, fairly recently, they've done a 992 GT3 kit, um, which is a bit faster. I can't remember how much faster it was around. Someone else was talking about this recently. It was like, I don't know, six seconds a lap around the Nürburgring or something. Yeah. I I don't know what that is around the normal track, not tons. Yeah. but for 50,000 euros or 50,000 pounds or something like that. So I guess is that, that's for the, that would be for a full, that's their sort of, what do you get for that sort of amount of money from Manti? I mean, you know, I suppose this leads into the next car that we did actually. Mm. So after, um, our speedster, we got a GT2 RS. So 901 generation. Yeah. And we actually installed a full Manti racing package onto that car. So that was um, a really interesting exercise just from the point of view of understanding, you know, how these packages work. Um, Obviously, like you say, you know, they are incredibly expensive. And I think a big part of the cost comes from the fact that, yes, they are factory Porsche. You know, the the car, our car was the first equipment equipped car to to be installed with a full kit. So that was once this complete merger or whatever ended up happening um, between Porsche and Manti had completed, then all of the Manti racing kits then suddenly were available through your Porsche dealers, um, mm. through tech equipment, and just almost like a, an aftermarket option through the dealer, fully warranted. Yeah, so that's quite a difference. we installed that kit on the car, did back-to-back testing, to not really to verify what Manti was saying, because obviously that was quite clear that um, – you know, they are a, a real proper outfit and there's nothing that they would claim which isn't to be true. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think that was a big part of what we learned from that package was just how things can work in harmony with one another. Um, but also, again, from our point of view, just being able to take a, a Manti racing equipped car and then make it even faster. And that's that was kind of our target with the two RS. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the costs involved are huge. I mean, the, the package on the GT2 RS was almost £90,000. Um, yeah. And when you break it down into what components you actually get for that, you wouldn't you wouldn't probably even want to know how much each yeah. individual thing is costing you. But as a package, as a, as a sum of its parts, it's, you know, it's pretty damn impressive. It's, uh, it's been a, a fun exercise with that car as well. And, and you know, what we did with that car was go to various circuits, throughout the uk um we went to a couple of circuits in in europe as well um spa being the main one and um and actually set some lap times of our own um and ended up setting i think it was four or five kind of lap records for a road car um i mean you know there's there's no guinness book of records bloke stood in the corner with his clipboard but as far as documenting yeah the the lap times um that's what we've done Obviously, they're there to be scrutinised and or beaten. Um, 
but it was just a fun exercise for us to really demonstrate how, you know, to try and put some metric to what we do. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can take a, a seriously fast car, which is made even faster with a Manti kit, and then you can still make it even faster um, with some of our parts installed as well. And that was, that was a really fun thing. And that's been our main focus for last season. Yeah, so let's say your your home track is is Silverstone, I would say. Is that right? Yeah. When you go to the most. So what was, where did you get to in terms of what was the starting GT2RS before? I presume you did pre-kit uh, lap time, then with kit, and then evolved after that. Where, where yeah. did you sort of get to and where did you start from? So we, we did as best as possible, obviously, you know, different days. There is some variance, but... For all intents and purposes, um, the the factory car ran around about a two minute ten, two minute eleven uh, lap yeah. time, which is you know, obviously seriously quick. That's quick. Um, kind of stacks up and about where we expected it. You know, GT3 RS is around about two fourteen, um, so in completely stock trim. Yeah. So obviously, with all the extra power and torque, the GT2 RS being two three seconds faster kind of made sense. Um, then with the Manti kit, we saw around about 2.08. So it was a kind of reasonable two-second uh, improvement, which, again, in terms of what you would expect on the Delta with their lap times around the Nürburgring, obviously the ring's a bit of a, an odd circuit yeah. in the sense of, one, it's super long, but also the mix of corners and the length of the straights. And not, you know, it's kind of, let's say, four times longer for argument's sake. Yeah. Well, three and a half times longer than Silverstone. You would you would imagine around about a third of the improvement to transfer over, and that's about what we saw uh, at Silverstone as well. Um, then we applied our parts, um, so we played around significantly with the damping, um, the valving of the damping, um, the setup, um, some underfloor aero. We put on some club sport parts, our own exhaust system, um, different brakes. And we got down to a two hundred six point eight. Um, it was Very quick. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fast for a road car. It's quick, obviously. Yeah. Um, there's there's definitely more in it. You know, if we were to have the circuit to our own to ourselves on a perfect weather condition day, brand new tires, stress, fresh out of the warmers, like they would on a yeah. lap time attempt, we'd probably see like a a high two hundred four. Um, so, you know, it's it's seriously impressive when you consider a GT3 car um, back then was running, you know, kind of two minutes flat, uh, high 59, something like that. So, you know, to be able to drive a car that quickly and then just drive literally home. jump in it and drive home <laughs> um, is quite impressive. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just been like a, a really kind of fun exercise to, to, one, be developing the parts, but, two, being able to kind of just – put some numbers to them and and try yeah. to present it in a different way because what are the other i'm trying to think of cars that are sort of a similar there's nothing really like a gt2 rs from other manufacturers like there are but i don't feel like any of them are actually like that fast um obviously something like a senna is yeah very quick when you did spa what was the do you know what the difference was to a, to a Senna? We were not as quick as a Senna. Um, 
I mean, you know, excuses left, right, and centre. But oh, that's fair. We, we we did have <laughs> serious traffic on the day. I think even with a perfect lap, um, again with brand new tyres with a completely clear lap. Um, I think it was Duncan Tappy that right that um, that ran the centre around there. Um, I think we would have probably been around about one to two seconds off. So as it was, I think we were like three or four. But it's um, I think a centre. I mean, they were. I think the centre was up like 20 mile an hour down the straights. It's seriously quick in the, yeah. in the straights. Um, but the corner speeds were very comparative. So, you know, for a 9.11, basically, you know, it's yeah. a 9.11 um, versus a, you know, a kind of completely bespoke hypercar to be cornering at kind of similar corner speeds. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's pretty impressive. But I think um, I think to be able to challenge a centre, you know, like for like around Spa, I think you'd need another... 200 horsepower probably yeah um because you know that i think they were touching almost 200 mile an hour down the straight which is massive yeah. you know for anything never mind a road car so um i think a center is quicker definitely um the the delta is small around uh, around silverstone um i think the center time around silverstone nobody's got below a, a 207 so again very very close but i think yeah. because the straights aren't you know, so much of an There's advantage more. there. Um, and it's more about the high speed corners and carrying the speed. You can kind of, the Delta is a bit smaller, but either way, I mean, they're just seriously fast cars. Um, but yeah. I think you're right. No, I don't, I don't think there's anything else out there really, which I would consider to be necessarily super quick. I know Pagani did a time round Spa, which was insane, but it just <laughs> looks like the cars on slicks. You know, they didn't. I think it was. They said they got a special tire from Pirelli, and it's like, well, did it have any tread? Because yeah. it doesn't look like it did. That is what we're seeing now. It seems with like the new. I think new RS has come on a new tire. It's like a new R. Have you yeah. tried? Have you tried out that tire yet? Is it? Can you get hold of it? It's like a. It's like cut no, two R, but N something. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit wider. Um, but I know that the construction in the compound is quite different um, and you can run it at a much lower pressure as well. So I think the construction is probably basically like a slick tyre. I mean, the performance yeah. that you're seeing from from these cars now, you've got to think like an RS. I think Bergmeister did a time round, um, round Silverstone went on one of the pest drives with new tyres and whatnot. I think it got down to like a 208 something. Um so, you know, that's not far off the times that we saw with the two RS, but with 200 horsepower less now. So, but you could see, you know, you could see the corner speeds were, it was basically up five miles an hour everywhere um, on what I was doing. So it kind of just ties in and makes sense. Um, I wouldn't expect that car to go any quicker than a 208 really, but hopefully we've got ours coming at the end of uh, this year, start our next and we'll, we'll give it a go. That's exciting. How do you maintain because how does that relationship with your dealer work because obviously you only you're like well we have to get an rs or whatever do you get them straight from porsche and they're like yeah no, no, we like I you wish. guys no um <laughs> you know very much in the same position as everybody else um you know it's all about relationships i deal with porsche center southern coalfield uh and they've been fantastic um we took the two rs on their track day that they organized um at, at donington park last year uh, and actually set the, the lap record for the road car there. We actually had like a half an hour slot at lunchtime, brand new tyres. Um, and it was our nice. one kind of attempt of the year where 
it was a true kind of let's give it a proper go yeah uh, the weather was great everything so it worked out really well that was fun um but now i you know you just need to buy loads of cars long story yeah. short yeah, there's no yeah, special yeah. way Spend about it i know yeah it, it's just the way it is you know i think you you've just got to kind of nurture that relationship and ultimately um they need to be able to justify who they give the cars to i think you know it goes without saying that i think the dealers want cars to go to the right people they want the cars to be used properly um when i say that you know if somebody's getting a gt3 rs i'm sure they would prefer to see it lapping silverstone than parked up in a garage with no miles on it um you know we did I did more miles in the two RS last year than I did in my road car. Yeah, because we <laughs> How did many like, miles did you do? Like nine thousand miles. What the hell? So you know, nobody can accuse us of not using these cars. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you know, obviously the cost implication with that's huge as well because you know anything yeah. over five thousand miles and people's jaws drop to the floor because they think, oh my god, it's done so many miles. Um, but it's just one of those things, you know, I just don't see the purpose in having the cars unless you're going to drive them. Um, I just think it's a waste of time. And I think that's almost as bad to give an allocation to somebody who's just going to park it up in a garage as it is to give it to somebody who's going to take it home, wash it and throw it out the door and make a hundred grand. Yeah. I think, um, you know, hopefully the person who's buying it over is probably more likely to then take it on track and use it. So um, I think the number of MR marked cars that don't get driven has got to be basically zero i can't imagine someone putting an mr kit on a car if they didn't drive on track like you just it's quite niche no i think i think you're right i think there was there's certainly more of those cars actually get used i mean you only have to look at the manti track days at nurburgring you know there's like 100 cars there yeah. most of them have got the manti kit on um and they're there to be enjoyed um you know, I know of a few which don't get driven, but you know that's that's kind of the different owners enjoying the cars in their own unique way, isn't it? I suppose right. for me personally, I think um, I just couldn't have a car like that and not drive it. You know, that's yeah. where the enjoyment for me comes. With the one of the things that people have talked about with um, man side kits, so it's, you know, it's vaguely talked about on on two RS, and, and I'd like to hear your opinion. Is they you're fast around a track? But drivability goes up significantly. Have you found that generally what's happened with basically with your changes? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and that's something which we're, I think Manti are very much focused on that with their product. So you you install the Manti kit uh, with their base settings and their suggested settings. And I think the car is, for a, a non-pro driver, is probably significantly easier and therefore faster. Um, easier to drive and therefore faster around a lap. Yeah. I think for a pro driver, um, you know, a pro driver is going to extract the maximum potential. And realistically, the maximum potential of the car is smaller than that of the improvement in drivability. So, but that's the way that they've focused it. And that's where a big part of the gain, which we achieved from from the 2RS came from, you know, was, was focusing towards maximum uh, lap time rather than necessarily drivability mm. um you know i think that's something which is to be mindful of when you're installing these kits and i think i, I watched a really quite interesting video the other day where they were talking to michael grassel uh manti racing and he said around the ring the 992 gt3 kit they're saying around about 
10 to 15 seconds of improvement in an AM driver, whereas uh, Kevin Estra did like four seconds over the factory yeah. car. And that, that kind of difference, you know, it's kind of worth, let's say, triple yeah. the gain to an AM driver. But realistically, most of the drivers who are driving these cars are non-professional. You know, they don't have any interest in competing. It's all about fun. So if they can create a car and a package which ultimately makes the car more drivable and more fun, then, you know, and you're less likely to have an accident in it, then I think they're doing their job really well. And that's that's exactly where the car is focused, and you definitely feel that. Mm. So then you, so your car is, well, well you've, you've finished with it now, but like it's getting to the point where it, it, it's now towards that fine line of edgier and edgier and edgier. Or is yeah, it still... I mean, we were like we were running like five point one degrees front camber in the end. Um, that was, you know, just absolutely to the extreme levels. You know, absolutely maximizing the package. Um, and the car was quick, but it was knife edgy and really, really on its nose. And but that's how it needs to be to to extract a really, lot, you know, kind of impressive lap time from it. Um, that's not representative of what you would expect from a car from the factory, but then that is just settings. So, you know, it just shows the flexibility that's within the, the car and the chassis and the dampers that you can just adjust the car to your liking and really extract the maximum from it. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's definitely not as friendly as it was. Um, but then it's two, three seconds a lot faster. Um, that matters to us and to me for those lap yeah. times, but probably doesn't matter much to anybody else you know if anything our car is probably slower for an amateur driver to drive around a lap than the the factory manti settings but that's kind of comes full circle back around to what you just said so you know it's yeah. very much uh you know you kind of it's always a compromise ultimately with with how the car ends up being set up is there anything particularly about driving that car quickly that you have to think about differently versus uh, other cars uh, I mean, versus a race car, I mean, most racing cars or a GT car would be around about 500 horsepower, 550 horsepower. This was like 700 just over. Um, probably had double the torque of a, a GT3 car with less aero. So, you know, the traction control system is very good, but it had its limitations. And once you were up to a point where you were really trying to extract a lot of time, you had to be off because, you know, the, if you get massive torque cut on a lap, you can lose five mile an hour down the straight and then that's half a second and your lap's done. Yeah. So we always ran the traction off. Um, and you know, you could spin the, spin the tires in fourth or fifth gear when it's really <laughs> loaded up. So, you know, when you're absolutely on the limit, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of major difference really, I suppose is all the traction is incredible. It's still got loads of power and loads of torque. Um, and it's it's quite you know it's it, the the boost onset is fairly abrupt um in certain gears so yeah you just be mindful of that but otherwise no not really i think it's it's just like any other kind of 911 to drive um you kind of everybody's got their own ways of driving them but and and having them set up but i think um the main difference with that car was just the power really um just the fact that you know, Silverstone, you're like 20 mile an hour up on a, a GT3 RS yeah. and in a short period of time. Um, and also the weight, that was the big part as well. 
was the car's roughly around about 100 kilos heavier than the GT3 RS, but all of the additional weight is kind of on the corners of the car. You've got yeah. the turbos, the intercoolers hanging out the rear, um, and the additional cooling at the front. So all of your additional weight is kind of weight you wouldn't necessarily want it. Um, and the weight balance on a 2RS is even more rear biased than a 3RS. So it feels quite heavy, even though it's not. Um, certainly less agile than a GT3 RS. Um, but challenging, you know, just fun to drive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you quite excited about the, the new RS? And I guess there there will be a two... We don't necessarily know, but I feel like someone said there's going to be a 2RS um, coming I've at some point. I've heard it from a few people who theoretically should know. Yeah. Who say that, yes, there is a 2RS. There's rumours of this, of it having a hybrid or not. I'm not sure whether that's true. Um, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah. But yeah, the 3RS is a different prospect. I think, you know, it's, it'd be an exciting car to drive, but I think it'll be very much... I'm not convinced that an amateur driver would go any quicker in a new 3RS than the old 3RS because all of the lap time is in the corners. Yeah. So unless you're going to get off the brake and carry another 10 mile an hour, you're not going to go any quicker. Um, so it's it's a it's quite a brave kind of approach that Porsche have taken really because the car's got no more power. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually slower in the straight line than a, a previous generation GT3 RS. Um, in fact, far as I've seen, a, a 997.2 3RS is about the quickest 3RS in the straight line there is. Um, certainly 4 litre yeah. uh, wants to get rolling. Just because of the, there's such small cars, um, you see how big the 992 is compared to a 997. You think about yeah. Translaria and all the drag that you've got. So, yeah, I think it'll be an exciting car to drive, but I'm not convinced that there won't be some owners who get them and feel a bit almost disappointed because it's not just yeah. going to do a lap time and it's without asking to, you know, for it yeah, to do I it. Yeah, I guess it, it depends who you are, isn't it? Like, if you're the, it's the first RS in a while that I've sort of been excited about or like interested in. And the only reason is the, the ability to change stuff on the fly. Like, yeah. I think that's changes, super cool. Like, all that stuff, change your suspension settings, diff, whatever. Like I would play with that. Yeah. I, like in the lap. Whereas like, I'm going to go back to the pits and like, mm, I might do, but like, there's a lot yeah. more effort. <laughs> I'd rather just go and have a coffee. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Like, get some, try and get it right, and then just carry on with your day. Um, does that in, does that interest you, or are you sort of like, well, we kind of just set up our cars right anyway? No, I think I think in terms of obviously the flexibility and being able to adjust. I mean, you, you reach a, a point in the setup, obviously, where essentially you know you kind of go to a track and you're pretty much ninety five percent there, and the the adjustment in the damper allows you in my opinion to adjust for weather conditions specific tracks you know silverstone tends to be a little bit understeery um whereas somewhere like alton park you might want to just dial in a little bit of understeer into the car just for, for safety um so all that kind of stuff in terms of being able to adjust dampers obviously that's something which we've been able to do on all of our cars um because we've always had adjustable dampers on them you would only ever really adjust them just to suit the day and suit the tyre and the weather. 
Um, whereas now, I suppose you can do that much more easily, and you can also play with a diff, and that's that's the one thing which I think is more interesting. Yeah, is a way that you can adjust the the way that the car enters the corner um, rather than just once it's in in the corner, um, and that's something which would be really cool to play around with. Obviously, you know, there's there's limitations to those adjust to those adjustments um, because I think they've got to probably make sure that if you've got the car set up to have maximum diff um, on entry, so it's loose on the rear and then full stiff rear suspension, full soft front suspension, the car still needs to be safe. So obviously (laughs) there's only probably quite narrow parameters that they're working with it. But I think in terms of enjoyment, it brings a new thing um, to the table. You know, you can kind of play with the car throughout the day. I think in terms of from a track day driver's point of view, it's fun because you're learning uh, yeah. the way the car works you can try something and feel the difference and easily revert back um whereas like you say you know if you have to get it off on the jacks and start fiddling and changing suspension um with physical clicks on the damper i think it's you're probably less likely to actually play around with it yeah yeah so it seems to sort of i think a lot of people will enjoy playing with it but it's it's almost like depending on where you are in your track racing journey or whatever it's like if you're at the beginning, no, it's not going to be useful at all. You're not going to get it. Like you'll play with it, but you're not learning anything. Then you learn a lot and it will be useful. And then you might start racing and it'll be useful. But then probably if you start taking racing quite seriously, you're not driving a G3 RS on track anymore. Like you might do, but you, you're not really. You're probably just going to drive a race car, at which point... Yeah you're out of you're out of that sort of curve again but it'll be interesting to see if other manufacturers if we start to see that on other cars like mm. will the next gt3 have that i don't know probably yeah i mean i, I think cool what was it, it the amg gtr wasn't it had the adjustable traction control um like 10 settings of it adjustable yeah. traction control which i thought was really cool because there's a big difference between traction control being on and traction control being off Um, and that's a big window (laughs) to play with Um, and as much as the systems are really clever and intuitive especially on the Porsches you know you can run traction on and you don't generally speaking get massive interventions and it feels quite natural Um, you know sometimes certain conditions you might just want to tie it down a little bit Um, you know we've got an M4 CSL at the minute which is being loaned to us by one of our good friends and that's got adjustable traction control and the way that works is actually really, really clever. Um, it just feels scaled. So imagine traction on, traction off, and it's just literally like 10% less as you go down. Um, I think it'd be cool once you start, you know, back in the, the LMP car when I remember we had how much traction control intervention, and then you could also set how soon the intervention was in the, in the wheel slip. So maybe that's like another thing which will start coming in as well. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's just it's just cool, isn't it? Road cars are getting more like race cars every time somebody yeah. brings one out. I mean, there's only so far you can go before you are basically driving a racing car on the road. But look at the Valkyrie and the, yeah. the MG1 and, and that kind of stuff. You know, they're just out-and-out race cars. It's insane. Like, looking at that space, we've gone so far beyond kind of like road car for if you're making a hypercar now unless you're let's say you've got everyone it seems and then you've got gordon murray 
And you, Gordon Murray's going, it's a road car, it's a road car, it's a road car. I'm going to keep banging on about the fact that it's a road car. Whereas Valkyrie, AMG1, Ferrari are still kind of making road cars. But like a Valkyrie as a proposition to drive on the road, it doesn't, that doesn't really, other than like a novelty factor, it looks like pretty horrific to drive on the road. Yeah, yeah. But then I suppose that's where the, the compromise thing comes in. You, you can't have a car with over a thousand horsepower and however many kilos of downforce, it's got some incredible number. Um, and be able to drive it like a normal car on the road, you just can't. And in even more so, you know, the Valkyrie, you have to literally change the bodywork to make it actually do the lap times around the around the circuit you know they've got the track pack which is a completely different front clam and floor and all sorts of stuff so it's basically a different car i think the like that so you get the valkyrie and then you get the amr pro is there a is there a track pack on the valkyrie as well or is it those yeah as far as i understand there's a track pack for the road car okay which is a completely different front end and floor and maybe rear diffuse. I don't know. You know, it's okay, but it's pretty significant change um, to then be able to kind of get your full performance from it. Because um, <laughs> I thought it was quite interesting. I watched obviously a few of the press drives yeah. which were recently at Bahrain with the Valkyrie, and it wasn't the the numbers that it's pulling in kind of lateral G isn't actually no. that impressive. I mean, it's impressive and it's obviously incredibly fast, but I don't think the cornering speeds are probably much quicker than anything like a, anything more than a Senna or a two RSMR on the right tire or whatnot all seems around, around that kind of level. Um, so it'd be interesting to see when somebody sticks it on cup to ours and when this track pack, if they ever kind of happens, I think it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to really comment, but just from an outside looking in, it just, it surprised me that didn't have, more downforce really yeah it sounds like the um and presumably this is all you know whether it's your tires and the fact that it needs to be able to drive on the road and all this sort of stuff i look at the amr pro and go yeah that like excusing the fact that you might buy some race car but you kind of can't really buy a race car like that they're not really like i don't know what exists that's quite like that and that is that just looks awesome and everyone that drove that, like Chris and whatever, um, had a whale of a time. Mm. Whereas the Valkyrie on track didn't look, it looked a bit sketch. <laughs> but I thought it was funny when you saw the Valkyrie and then the AMR Pro near it. It's a completely mm. different car. It's like it's a different 50% wheelbase. bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's almost like a silhouette of a Valkyrie. Yeah. Um, but then... <laughs> There you go. I mean, that's there's only so far you can go with a road car, and obviously absolutely. they are absolutely pushing the limits with that Valkyrie, and it's an incredible looking thing. I'm sure it's an amazing to drive, but there is a there there has to be a, a almost a hard stop as to just how far you can go with a road car. Um, I feel like that's got to be the end. Like I yeah, don't think people, we will. People probably said that when the F40 came out, didn't they? Or you know, just look yeah, how true, things have true. moved on. If if we get. Um, as long as everything doesn't have to be EV and we have some sort of synthetic fuels and whatever, then we'll still get that. That's apparently, I was reading something about it recently about, um, you know, these fuels that you, you make and you can basically pick 
the the like run value. You just decide because you're making it in a, a process. You could you can make like one twenty or one oh five. You literally just pick a number. So right. if we're all driving on these or for our sports cars or whatever on these fuels that they make out of solar, hopefully. Um, presumably engines can evolve like another step because of the fuel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Like, yeah. It's like everything would be running on race fuel, but race fuel like plus, plus, plus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, E85 ethanol-based yeah. fuels, you know, it's a perfect example of that and... You, know, you can see they run cooler. Um, you can run way more ignition advance, um, which then in turn makes them run cooler again. Um, and overall, you just you know everything's just more efficient. I think if you had designed an engine around a fuel, um, probably much like a Formula One engine. I don't know what specific kind of octane rating F1 fuel is. It's probably not crazy high. No. Um, but, you know, just look at the efficiency of those engines. It's just, it's something that's not talked about enough because they, they focus a lot, I feel, on yeah. the, the electrification kind of element of the powertrain. But those engines, the, the consumption that, the power that they're outputting and the amount of fuel that they're not using is just astounding, really. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's where this crazy high efficiency comes. You know, you can kind of, it's twofold, isn't it? You're designing a fuel which is hopefully sustainable, um, and kind to the environment and keeps everybody happy, hopefully, some people. Um, but then also, if you can start designing engines around that specific fuel as well, then the efficient, efficiency will go through the through the roof. Yeah. So, like you say, yeah, I think that's, that's exciting, isn't it? I think yeah. the EV side of things is, no doubt about it, you can make a, an incredibly fast car um, with, a, with an electric powertrain, but there's still a lot to be said for just having a combustion engine in, inside and whatever the future holds in terms of, um, you know, the way that they're going to work in parallel and maybe range extenders and all that kind of stuff. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of taking today's engines, but designing them for supreme fuel Yeah, <laughs> and like what you can do, like, what would a sports car engine be like? Your your GT2 RS will be putting out another 150 horsepower, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would. You know, if you were to tune 
the GT2 RS to run even just E85 fuel, you'd you'd gain 100 horsepower immediately, yeah. um, and it would run cooler as well. So your efficiency is going up. Um, the you know the I suppose the, the 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 life of the engine, even though it's running more power, um, is probably going up because heat is always the enemy. Mm. Um, yeah, just everything kind of carries on. So, yeah, if you ran even if you were to run E85 at the same power level, then you might even find that it's more more efficient as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's exciting where the where the future goes with this whole kind of synthetic fuel thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You don't see some some cars. People talk. It gets a lot of sort of chat as like it could be the savior of the world. Um, I think in the sort of patch ride community, um, but I don't know too much. You can buy it now. I think things like Goodwood Revival and stuff like that. I think they run a lot of those cars. They run on a synthetic fuel and things like the Porsche Super Cup and stuff like that. Um, does F one? I think I think F one are going to it twenty thirty, aren't they? That's the big like engine rule change twenty thirty. Yeah. Um, I think so. I'd be all for but, I mean, yeah, NA be... engines. NA yeah, engines and synthetic fuels. It's not happening at all. <laughs> no. I think, well, I mean, they've already said that it's going way to Mort. Um, you know, the the electric, electric part of the powertrain is going to be providing yeah. more of the percentage of power. Um, the, the combustion engine's almost acting like a generator at that point. I think it's not far off. So, yeah, yeah. And need smaller um, brakes, and... but either way, that's just that's their decision to to go in that direction. But yeah, I'm not I'm not hopeful of seeing V10s or V12s in an F1 car anytime soon. I don't I don't think so. It would be cool, but it's it's not going to happen. Um, having a little little look through your through your website, you did a lot of low seat frames for cars. Yeah, it's actually a quite a popular product. I mean, we did um, seat frame lowering kits for. Mark II and Mark III Focus RS mm. and the GI Yaris. Um, it, you know, there's probably tons more that we could do. Um, but it's they've been quite good products for us. I mean, just being able to provide a solution for uh, drivers to be able to just feel a bit more connected. Um, essentially, the issue is that when a manufacturer does a hot version of any car, so say like Ford does a Focus RS, yeah. You've got to take the average kind of driver hit point um, and you can only deviate from that a certain percentage when producing a car with a fixed height seat. So basically there's like a median point where the manufacturers need to set the seat to be. Otherwise, if you change it beyond that parameter, you'd actually have to go through crash testing again. Right. So okay. yeah, yeah. obviously crash testing in, for a manufacturer of that scale with that number of cars and whatnot is literally probably tens, hundreds of millions. I don't know what. Um, so they avoid that. And the downside of that is that you end up with a Focus RS where the the seat is sat in, yeah. you know, kind of five foot nothing, um, 80-year-old granny kind of position. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that doesn't work if you're, you know, I'm not, but if you're a six foot plus guy yeah. uh, or lady, who's wanting to drive these cars comfortably or especially on track with helmet on it's almost impossible so we've kind of come up with a solution to to lower the factory seat um 
which you can do in the aftermarket um, using, you know, all the correct materials and processes to make sure that they're, they're properly safe. Um, and that just gives you a kind of nice solution. So on the focuses, we're, made, we're, we're able to lower the seat, you know, kind of over 50 millimeters, which is really quite nice. significant. Yeah. Uh, and then on the Yaris, around about 45 millimeters, you actually have to change the seat for that as well. Um, there is a way to, to lower the factory seat, but the factory seats are so poor that I think realistically, if you're bothered enough to, to yeah. start changing components, then adding the, changing the seats at the same time is kind of a good option. So that's the route that we've gone down for that. Yeah, it seems like both of those cars is widely talked about. But yeah, I remember getting in yeah, a Focus RS and going, hmm, hmm. seems quite high. And then Yaris, same thing. Um, but that would that would make a nice difference. What else you got? That's some suspension and whatnot. With the um, you do a s- height adjustable spring kit, I guess via string theory, the suspension setup people. Yeah, so we did um, when we had IRS. Um, there was some kind of limitations within the factory suspension, which fa- we felt like the damper was very very good, which it is. Um, it's not adjustable. It doesn't necessarily need to be on a, a car at that kind of price point um, and the way that it's been used. But being able to control the way that the rear worked was really important. Um, and we kind of quickly discovered that in the factory rear spring, as you went through its travel, the, the relative or the, the kind of dynamic spring rate actually decreased. So as the car got lower, the car actually got softer at the same time. Right, and that okay. was something that we think they dialed in just from a point of view of making the car safe. Yeah. So you kind of send it into a corner and the rear sits and then it just continues to sit and sit and sit. And yeah. that kind of pushes into gentle understeer. So again, this kind of compromise thing. Um, so we went to a linear rate rear spring. Um, we just optimized the front spring, spring rate uh, and the rear as well, actually. Uh, and then just made it such that you could actually adjust the the height of the platform, um, which would kind of allow you to dial in a little bit more rake um, and then also set up the car more accurately yeah, from a corner weight point of view uh, as well. So a relatively cheap mod kind of working in conjunction with the factory dampers um, can really kind of transform that car. Um it's definitely not like I've got lowering springs on my car. I've just made it the car look cool. That's not really yeah. the, the purpose of the product. Um, we recommend around about 15 to 20 millimeters lower than factory. It's kind of like the nice point in the suspension. Yeah. So we did that and, you know, that kind of transformed the car really. And that, that one small thing there optimizing what's already there um, kind of tends to work really well. I think it's important for us to, pick and choose our battles you know there's i know there's some crazy mods available for that car now um we kind of went in and out relatively quickly with that model because i felt like there's certain things which could be improved upon seats was one big one um the the suspension felt like the all the ingredients were there and that was just kind of the finishing touch um any further than that it just felt like you know it's kind of diminishing gains in terms of how much yeah. money you've got to spend versus what kind of benefit you're going to get yeah, so yeah, yeah. that felt like a kind of relatively cheap win in terms of being able to set the car up more accurately and just get rid of some of those 
handling characteristics, which I didn't really particularly like. Um, but this is, you know, the aftermarket. I think everybody's got their own ideas what's good and what's not. Yeah, All I, I can do is really just apply my lo- my knowledge and my thoughts to any of these cars and hope that people enjoy it. Yeah, that seems like quite a good solution. Like the, when I look at it on the website, without looking like clicking on it, it's like lowering springs. And then I'm like, hmm, string three. See, so I feel like they know their stuff. And then, um, and then when you talk about it, I'm like, oh, no, that makes absolute sense because driving that car, I felt the same thing. Just kind of, it just felt like really safe, like yeah. annoyingly safe, to the point where. It just understeers. Like it's it's a fun little car, but mm. it just it just sort of didn't feel like alive that much under any sort of turning. No, um, and I think one of the big things as well, which that also targeted, was yes, it is safe up to a point, like any car, where the manufacturer kind of dials in this safe understeer. But you get to a point where that safe understeer turns into massive snap oversteer yeah yeah yeah. so if you start actually driving at the limit of the tire then the handling characteristics actually get a little bit spooky and i think that's adding that little layer of kind of predictability into the chassis is something that we should find important so yeah it's i suppose it must be an absolute nightmare for manufacturers being able to you know the, the guys who are in charge of of deciding yes that is good it's quick it's engaging it's fun it's safe all of these different things that you've got to hit you know it's way easier for me to just go in there and say i want the car to be more focused um for somebody who's going to use it on track and that's what we do i would say that's a much easier task um to set out to achieve than than starting from nothing and saying (laughs) this is gonna please everybody because that's impossible um yeah but that's what I found with a lot of stuff, especially like early 991 GT3s and GT3 RSs. They are like no rake in them whatsoever, no front camber. And they're just understeered like to death until they didn't. And then all yeah. of a sudden you, you see people having crashes because they're all coming out of corners with loads of understeer and then getting on the power. Yeah. And then just they'll switch sides on them and off they go. So, um, yeah, I think... It must be an absolute minefield, really. It must be really hard. And I I don't know whether I never... I never really got the aftermarket, I'm going to say, thing. It's not a thing. It's like a place. Obviously, there's there's so many different levels of stuff. For ages, I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a car. It either drives great or it doesn't drive great. If it doesn't drive great, buy a different car. Like, that sort of thing. But now, having had more experience and had more experience of changing setup on a car and experiencing that it can be not great and go too great and then go the other way as well. Um, that actually, like you said, a manufacturer is not going to design a car specifically for how you want to use it every day. They might, but they're, they're going to make it, if it's Porsche, they'll get it close to how I want to use it but if you want to use it more on track more of the time you probably want a much sharper tool whereas like like my RS is set up a little bit aggressively not very aggressively but like a little bit more aggressive than normal and I quite like that it's quite fun 
Um, yeah. But then again, I think someone else driving it might be might like absolutely hate that and think it's not fun at all. So mm. having these sorts of changes you can make, I think makes perfect sense and the people will find them. But I think that's, that for me is that where a big kind of part of the rewarding kind of side of things comes from, from this, um, you know, from having JCR and being able to take a, let's be honest, you know, a GI Yaris is a brilliant car from the factory. GT3 mm. RS, unquestionably a brilliant car from the factory, but just being able to apply our knowledge and steer it in a direction to which we prefer. Um, and, albeit you know catering for a much smaller pool of people um but that's kind of where our niche is i suppose um is for the owners who are, are going to use them on track um who are prepared to have a little bit of compromise and just have the car just focus in um you know we're, we're taking an already brilliant product and just making it a little bit more focused and i think that's the key thing you drive any new car now they're actually all pretty good and it's rare to get to jump in a new car and think that's really terrible. Um, mm. I can't think of any that I've driven recently, which I think is really terrible. It might not necessarily be what you want, but you think what they've set out to achieve and where they've ended up and tends to be pretty much right. Whereas not so long ago, that wasn't the case, was it? You know, you'd have cars which, I mean, what car did I have, which was terrible? Mark II Clio V6. That's just a terrible yeah. car. Slow, <laughs> dangerous, doesn't stop, doesn't go around corners. You know, I think you could probably make it better, but it's still going to be just slightly less terrible. Um, so, yeah, I think it's yeah, we're kind of in a in a time now where cars are just generally speaking pretty damn good, um, and just making them a little bit more focused as to what our customers want that's where we come in really i guess like me you're listening out for new things that are coming and and whatnot and all the all the rumors i, I sort of feel like with porsche and you heavily deal with porsche um we're in a like a end of an era sort of time where they're going let's make all the stuff like let's yeah. let's let's make a bunch of crazy things or a bunch of interesting um builds and whatnot the latest one i've sort of hearing about is is an st um i don't know if you have you heard anything about that yeah so i think from from what i've heard it's going to be essentially a gt3 rs touring basically um rumors of active rear diffuser um so they can get rid of the rear wing um but then still run similar levels of front downforce which would be really cool um that's going to have, I don't know whether it would be manual or not. Maybe, I suppose, if it's going to be 911R replacement. Um, that's going to be a really interesting thing and probably yeah. impossible to get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, impossible to get. Um, it will be interesting if they, if that is going to be sort of what it is. It'll be interesting if they keep how much of the RS stuff they sort of keep. Like the front bonnet like all that aero stuff and the lack of boot space will that make it onto a, a touring car and then you mm. kind of like 
how close to an RS are you at that point? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see um, see when it comes. I, feel I, like I don't think this. Porsche make it particularly easy for themselves because, <laughs> you know, on one hand, they're the absolute masters, in my opinion, of creating a car which fits a brief. You know, this is our Macan S, say, for yeah. example. It's slightly slower than a Macan GTS. Yeah. And the Macan GTS is slightly slower than the KN Turbo. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then you cross that across all the 992 generation cars now. They just all fit in so nicely. And especially when you consider what they've done with 718 GT4 RS. Um, yeah. You know, just where that fits in, it's just perfectly a little bit slower than a GT3. Yeah. around the lap um but it provides something which you know if you want a gt if you've got a gt3 you'd still want a gt4 rs and i think yeah. that's where porsche are just so good at once you're kind of sucked into the brand they they just make all these things and you just think oh god i just want everything yeah. um it's it's like your traction control knob that goes from naught to 10 with one step in each way you're like yeah i could have a gt3 rs but then i'd have a gt3 because i would drive that on the road more um yeah. and maybe <laughs> yeah. i'd have a gt4 rs but that would just be for short journeys and maybe the occasional bit of track use because it's a bit more hardcore and like you can you can split this stuff up as, as, yeah. as, as much as you yeah like. i think you just have as many as you can and just drive all of them yeah as much as possible but yeah i think um all this, yeah, this new stuff. I mean, GT4 RS is a is a great example of what you just kind of mentioned there, where Porsche have thought, you know, outside looking in, certainly seems right. Mark, now's the time to put a GT, a proper GT engine into a, a mid-engine chassis, um, and those cars are just brilliant. You know, just so engaging, so much fun, um, like ear-shatteringly loud inside due to the way that they've done the intake arrangement, yeah. which I'm just amazed that they kind of decided that that was appropriate because it's just insanely <laughs> loud inside the car. Um, but just a cool car, um, seriously capable, but still really engaging and fun on the road as well. So that's a, a really cool thing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, more of this stuff. It's just, it's just they're all interesting. Even if you don't know, get to drive one, I love that they exist. Like, just various cool things. Cruising through your, your website, um you see all sorts of lovely exhausts for various things um have you done a 918 exhaust yeah we actually we did that project recently um so some of well i mean you know obviously we're not going to sell hundreds of nine 918 exhaust systems mm. um but that doesn't mean that we wouldn't approach it in the same way so we had a, a customer of ours who kind of said look I want a proper solution for this car. What can we do? So we spent three or four months, I think it was, it ended up being um, in the design phase, testing, um, going through a few different various options. Uh, we came up with that as a solution, which we've got uh, a modular kind of approach again, where you can replace just the cat sections on the, on the exhaust, um, retaining the factory manifolds, which are already in canal and perfectly well optimized. Um, it's kind of no no real need to change them, um, which again is something which I would I'm fully on board with. You know, I think if something's grey in it and we would just basically replicate it, there's actually no reason to change it. Yeah. Not in interested in making stuff just for the sake of it. So we did that. We've got a, a direct replacement cat section um, and then a rear silencer replacement as well. So you can run either or or both or combine them with the factory parts as well. Um, 
but that that sounds absolutely incredible it sounds like yeah. a proper proper high revving v8 naturally aspirated engine with that installed um saves a good amount of weight makes a bit of power as well which is always nice um but we've sold a few and they've gone all over the world we've got one in america one in chile um a couple in the uk now so kind of like just you know covering we've got uh, a few more we've got one going to japan and one going to korea yeah you just kind of like nice. crazy where all these cars are situated and how they get used and enjoyed throughout the world it's really cool to be able to create something new and that resonate with people all over the globe really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that and that oh what since the first time i've heard that engine i just i just wished for this long lost porsche mid-engine normal supercar not hypercar you know the sort of 200 grand supercar that never never happened never existed you're like yeah and if you put that engine in it oh it would yeah. be a good thing um one that's slightly odd it's not that odd when i look at your customer base you've got a center lock wheel gun it's uh which is surprisingly yeah. expensive, these things. Um, reassuringly expensive, yeah. <laughs> reassuringly expensive, which actually makes, and it, I, I see it has a, like a, a neat sort of attachment to it that stops your wheel spinning and then therefore you can tighten up the wheels. But I have had this issue where, yeah, I don't know whether I'm quite ready to buy the wheel gun yet, but I own one of the big bars yeah. that I sometimes put in the car if I'm going to go and get some wheels changed or something. And um, that is a real problem if you've got centre locks. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah, I mean, that that tool is something which, quite honestly, has changed our lives. I think we, you know, obviously when we've had a lot of our cars have got centre locks. Our GT4, yeah. which we've got now, we've actually just put a 4RS centre lock conversion. We've kind of developed mm. using some of the factory parts and some of our own such that you can convert your GT4 or Spider or whatnot into centre locks should you wish um mm -hmm. but the the wheel gun uh is produced by a company called high talk who uh, are kind of completely um focused on really really high-end precision tools so as you know with the with the porsche factory center locks you can't use a, an impact gun or anything like that because you they need to be tightened up in a really kind of specific fashion so that that wheel gun essentially and the the reaction arm which it's got basically is a brace against the spokes such that it can undo and tighten the wheel up without you having to apply the brakes or do anything special it literally does the whole procedure so you have an, a, a loosened function which removes the wheel nut as you'd imagine and then a tighten function which talks up the wheel wheel nut up to 600 um newton meters um releases it 60 degrees and then retorques it and then releases the reaction arm. So it's, it's essentially means that you can on your own change the set of wheels in maybe like 10, 15 minutes, which it, for anybody who's got center locks and has tried to do that on their own, that's not a 10 minute job. So, no. um, it's a really, really cool thing. We've kind of further developed it with our own reaction arm, which allows you to, um, use the car or use the wheel gun with um, sensor locks on various different models, including cars with a Manti rear aero disc, which ordinarily okay. their kind of factory reaction arm would interfere with the, the carbon disc on the wheel. 
so we've made a bit of a, a few kind of alterations in that sense um but they've been a fantastic company to work with um we saw quite a few of them they're, they're really you know it's i think if you understand the problem that you face with center locks and then see that gun in action then the price <laughs> makes a lot more sense it's it's seriously expensive but the tools that they normally produce are you know 10 times that because yeah. they're getting used to put nuclear power stations together not take wheels <laughs> off a car so um i think it originally uh, kind of came from the fact that the the owner or one of the owners of the company um had a gt3 rs and was frustrated with the way that right they yeah. were having to to kind of use a six long but six foot long bar to take the wheels off when actually they could create a really nice solution so that's what they did and then we jumped on board with them and um yeah that's been a really cool thing but we take it to every track day um we've sold quite a few to to dealers um to uh, poor yeah. specialists as well um who obviously you can imagine if you've got a one-man band kind of scenario and you're having to brace the brake pedal against the seat um yeah put the car in gear do this you'd like dragging it off the ramp because you're having to apply so much force to it um you know then this gun's just changed a lot of people's kind of perspective on actually how approachable and easy it is to have a car with center locks yeah it's like initial outlay but like you said for someone that's working on porsches i imagine someone like you know rpm or someone that's seeing jzm whatever loads of cars loads of center locks all the time you don't need to use two people and i've never done it on a ramp but yeah i can't imagine trying to do that process on a ramp that is absolutely yeah it's just a nightmare it really is um and it kind of takes the fun out of the fact that you've got center locks um whereas that just that just completely kind of changes the outlook on it and it means that you can really you know i mean we like we we did our spa track there we took two sets of wheels with us and we were changing wheels throughout the two days that we were there because the weather obviously it was spa so it was raining dry rain dry um and we were just flicking between sets like it was nothing because it's just so easy. You jack up the rear of the car, you do one side at a time. It's literally a five-minute job. Um, and also you know that they are right because yeah. the way that the gun works, um, the calibration on it is just incredible. I mean, we used ours for um, around about a year before we even sold one because like with anything we do, even though that was a, a, a tried and tested product, you know, if we're going to sell it on our, web- our website or I'm going to get behind something that is not necessarily our product start to finish, yeah. then we need to be absolutely sure that it does what it says on the tin and, you know, nothing but impressed with it. Even down to the battery, you know, you can charge it once and you can do like five, six weeks worth of wheels changes on one charge, which is just, nice. I don't know why you would need to do that, but <laughs> it's just quite handy really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, if you forget to charge it, you're probably okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is a funny one. What do you run as your sort of... So, presumably, you run, do you run Cup 2, let's say, on the... Do you still have the GT2 RS? Yeah, still got the GT2, yeah. Yeah, and so... you got... Have you done... So, you did... All 992 stuff, you did actually on the Speedster because it was pretty similar and then presumably checked it or whatever. Yeah, um, so exhaust kind of side of things we did on the Speedster. Uh, and then um the all the carrera and turbo 992 stuff we did in our turbo s hmm. what was that like i've not driven one of them uh incredibly fast um 
surprisingly fast. Best road car I think I've probably ever had. Um, in terms of a, a car which does it all, I think, I mean, our car had lightweight packs, so it had buckets and no rear seats. But I think if you had a Turbo S with folding seats and rear seats and you got a decent sized boot in the front, and, you know, I don't think you could ever wish to have a, a better everyday car really than that. You know, if you could have one car that did it all, track days, GT long drives, driving through Europe, whatever, um, all weather driving, I think a 992 Turbo S is just unbelievably good. Um, and incredibly capable as well. You know, we did a, I think it was two twelve around Silverstone, so it was only a couple of seconds off a two RS. Yeah. Um, admittedly, that was with our exhaust and um, Cup Two tires on it. So, you know, with with a proper tire, the car really comes to life. But it's very heavy though, and it feels that, and it really goes through the tires. But you know, if you want to wind it up and do a lap time, then it's it's super capable. It's there. There, pull the skids and whatnot. When you're running, um, you're saying you're running two sets of tires for sort of dry, wet, wet spa or whatever. What do you? What's your wet tire? Is it like four S or something? Four S, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, that tire is just mind-blowingly good. Um, you know, on the two RS with a Pilot Sport four S installed, it, it didn't feel that dissimilar to GT three car on wets. Honestly, I was shocked um, <laughs> just how good it was because um, it's still got proper support and it still feels like a track-focused tyre, but um, as long as you can keep the temperatures down, then it's it's super, super capable. So that's that's our kind of like preferred wet tyre. Yeah. It just does it all. And that's what, generally speaking, we'd run on the road. So if we were driving to Spa, we'd have four S's yeah. on it. Yeah, that makes sense. That's been a, a swap that I've sort of wanted to do on my RS for ever. Um, it's just put four S's on it rather than... I don't know whether you can get them. Can you now get four S's in like wide? Although probably not in 19. I don't know. Uh, you can't. For the Nano one generation cars, they, they now do, and the 718, they do an N marked four S in the proper sizes. So okay. maybe the 997 now. Yeah, maybe. I'm keen, I'm keen to do it. I, I get, and you can always run like a bit narrower or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised actually that a four S out of the pit lane for the first lap is as quick as a cup two pretty nice. much on the second lap it just starts to get a bit warm but it's probably not massively different um but in the rain i mean just forget it you know 4s is gone yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. my first so as experience. far as the road car tires consider you know concerned you're never really getting that much temperature in the tire so i think even as a as an everyday road car tire it's definitely better than a cup two i mean this csl that we've got at the minute is on cup two r's and it is just absolutely lethal you know until you've got a decent <laughs> yeah. amount of temperature in the tires um and that that couldn't be further away from safe or friendly yeah. um it certainly makes it feel an event to drive but i'm not sure you necessarily need that you know when you yeah. just nip into in the work. wrong way <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah running a running tires like that like yeah i've driven around when it's cold cold and you're like no it's just like it's kind of fun but it's also really sketchy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like no need you have to pick your battles a little bit don't you really it, exactly exactly so i normally wrap these up with five questions but you've been on the podcast before so i'll, I'll axe most of them and hit you with one or two 
Um, okay. What do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? Undervalued? Mm. Tricky. Tricky one. I definitely can't afford any of them. Um, <laughs> I would say probably the next thing to to go mad would be something like, actually, SF90. I feel like interesting. that's underloved and undervalued. I'm surprised how their values have really come down to actually not much more than like an F8 or something like that, no. really, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, you know, 1,000 horsepower, four-wheel drive, hybrid Ferrari. I just think that's got a million quid written all over it, hasn't it? I don't think they probably end up, will end up going back to that. But, you know, I just think that that's actually quite a, a cool car um, for the money. That is quite an interesting one, actually. I'd not thought about that, but I did a TikTok post, which was like some me talking to Sam Faint, seen through glass, um, about this, about the SF90. And I think a lot of people in America, I think a lot of younger people, and also just everyone in America, they love it. It's like the coolest, it's a thousand horsepower Ferrari. You're like, fair, fair play. But here, I was like, yeah, whatever. And that's kind of a little bit how I feel about it. I'm like, why did you not just get a 296? I know it didn't exist when it came out, but why would you not get a 296? Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't have one, but I, I just think that what you what you kind of get for your money is is pretty impressive, really, when you consider, you know, how much is the new Aventador replacement going to be? Yeah. That's going to be the best part of 400 grand has to be, doesn't it? So, yeah. but then that's a similar kind of proposition, isn't it? Four-wheel drive, hybrid, you know, um, quite cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that I would have said Carrera sure. GT not so long ago, but they're already gone. Astronomical, haven't they? Yeah. They're, that they're, ship sailed. It's gone. <laughs> Most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling? What are you looking at? Uh, new GT3 RS, I think, mm. you know, that's, that's the kind of, that's what our sights are set on. Um, I think it's a, a really brave kind of decision from Porsche to to go that extreme on a road car yeah. um you know when you think back to 996 997 generation cars you know you could easily run a GT3 RS on the road every day yeah. whereas I think this new one you probably couldn't really it's got absolutely no luggage space um it looks ridiculous um you know it's probably going to scrape on the ground everywhere you take it it's probably quite uncomfortable um but I just think that's cool and I think that kind I think of circles it, back around to, you know, you'd have a GT3 RS, but you'd also have a KN and this <laughs> and that and everything else. Yeah. yeah, all the other ones. I heard that if you put it in track mode, which I think you have to put it in track mode before you can change the dials. If you put it in track mode and then put the dampers and stuff down to the softest setting, it's softer than a GT3. Yeah, I mean, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? I can right. believe it as well, with that adjustability. Yeah, which would be, that's that's quite an interesting concept. That had made me think about the GT3. Next GT3, if it has that damper stuff, mm, let's make it a bit softer on the road, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and then ramp it up for track. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right. Uh, five car garage. Final question. Wow. Unlimited value. 918 for sure. I think especially with 
what we've done you know in, in the last kind of few months with this exhaust development have driven the yeah. car quite a bit on track and on the road and it's it's nice. just still phenomenal um i know they're they're big money but i think they're they're probably still actually relatively undervalued i would say when you think what la ferrari's done and uh, and p1 as well i think the 918 is Carrera gt and like all this other stuff yeah. is starting to sort of go above slash the same yeah so i think definitely 918 is the kind of ultimate kind of the hypercar contingent gt3 rs uh and a gt2 rs because i just think they're just such different propositions um, that's the porsche nut in you saying that anyone yeah these are all like, going to be porsches <laughs> just saying so, it. but like someone from the outside like right yeah so you've got two extreme porsches that, that so we've got 3 rs new 3 rs uh 2 rs yeah um k and gt we've got ours arriving any day now i think that's got to be the ultimate daily i just think it's cool and it's porsche it's cool. Is it not? Um, no, it's a cool. That's a cool thing to have. Is it not just going to be a bit extreme? I feel like these extreme versions of SUVs are always the ride quality is always rubbish. Yeah, the, it, it's surprising. I mean, it's it's firm, definitely. Mm. Um, it's definitely not an S class. But then, I I actually I think even for the car which I'm using day to day, I think. I still want it to be engaging to a certain point. I think yeah. that's kind of the sweet spot for me. Cool. Um, and then the last one, I really don't know, you know, maybe just that new, that new singer DLS. Mm. I think that that's just ultimate cool, isn't it? Um, what they're doing with, with their stuff and just having that kind of modern tech mixed with um, old school, cool, kind of looks and and kind of feel i think that's just ultimate um you know if you were to just go and drive down to the south of france or something like that that's got to be up there in terms of yeah. one of the best propositions yeah i think that would, that that garage would suit me pretty well i'd probably swap your cayenne for a panamera turbo s or Taycan or something but yeah other than that i'd be pretty happy um <laughs> great well Thanks very much for coming coming back on the podcast. It's good yeah, to see it's been fun to have a chat. Yeah, and I will have to come and um, visit you and see some of the, the stuff that's going on at some point. Yeah, you should. I mean, we're, we, you know, we're on track um, a lot. We've got 20-odd days planned for this year, um, with our first one being this Saturday, actually. Oh, nice. um, so that's our first track day, which we've been kind of preparing our car. Uh, we've had a bit of a blog build series on the website. Um, and on some of the forums kind of documenting the build of the car up to that point and then oh, cool. we'll also follow the development of the car throughout the year so our first track day on saturday is due to rain a lot so that'll be interesting um <laughs> yeah. but nevertheless it'll be it'll be fun to get the new car out there and uh, and start work on that as well is this going to be the this is the with the gt4 yeah yeah new gt4 pdk yeah that is that is quite an interesting sort of change because the, the gearing on those is shorter isn't it yeah bit. it's a little bit improved um it's definitely better than the manual car and i think that mixed with the way that the pdk feels um just it, the car just feels more grown up i don't know how else to describe it but it just mm. it feels more like a proper little baby gt car now um 
I think the PDK really, really suits that chassis. Uh, it just feels just really together. Um, the the final drive ratios that they did on the GT4 RS um, are much more extreme again. So that they're a lot closer together, a lot shorter gears. Right. Um, so there's definitely room for improvement there. But again, it just depends. You know, it's, that's just again Porsche doing yeah. what they do best in terms of just making <laughs> sure that everything stays in its in its line. In its lane, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks very much. Yeah, it's been really cool. Good chat. Thank you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.